can't possibly say what needs to be said as well as it was just said, but I'm going to say something anyway, so <laughs> because it's my turn. Thank you for, very much for being here today on this National Sanctity of Life Sunday, National Sanctity of Human Life Month. Every life is of equal value in the eyes of God. There are no important people and unimportant people in the eyes of God, only in our own eyes. And when you feel unimportant yourself, know that you are not, that you are just as important to God as every other person on this planet. Now, just to connect today to what we've been talking about, we've been in a series called What You Really Want. And I said as we introduced this series that what you really want can be summed up in this word. The word is peace. We want to have peace about everything in our lives. And while there are many definitions for peace, the definition for our purposes is this definition. Peace is that inner state of calmness and tranquility that comes from knowing that God is. God exists and that God cares. He's not just way out there somewhere. He is with us all the time and cares about every detail of our lives and that God keeps his promises. And Jesus said this, one of the last things he said before he left this planet after his ministry here in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 27, this is recorded. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. I'm going, but I leave peace behind. My peace, I give you. Jesus had his peace as based on the relationship with the Father. He was at absolute peace with God because he was God, and he knew that God would always keep his promises. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The theme principle for the series is this. The gift of peace comes from a right relationship with God. We have peace with God when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then there's the peace of God that comes in all circumstances, that comes through prayer and obedience to God. Throwing a lot of things up. So we have begun each and concluded each sermon in this series with these ideas. Number one, we were designed and created by God. We can only be right and we can only find peace when we do things the way we're designed to do them. Uh, you know, you can't put the, the square peg in the round hole kind of an idea. God made us a certain way and we must operate that way. And so what we really want in the area of family peace is what we're talking about today because these things, uh, being a voice for those that have no voice comes right back to our family. I'm just calling our thoughts today the least of these. One of the scripture verses that was read in that video, God cares about the least of these. We see big and small, God does not see things that way, but he makes it very clear in scripture that he cares about the least of these things. God cares about all life, including the least of these things. Now, I have to start by saying 
even though this is an emotional Sunday, it's not my favorite Sunday. Uh, because Sunday should be about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. That's the reason that Christians started worshiping on Sundays. Instead, we have to uh, mention things like uh, mothers and fathers are supposed to love their children. Uh, and instead, maybe I'm not obligated, but I feel like I should say that uh, instead, even though the number of abortions, for instance, in our country is declining, in 2016, there were still 885,000 abortions in the United States of America. That's two, that was 2,425 per day, 101 each hour, about one and a half uh, every minute. Over 60 million people have not been given the right to be born since the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision on, I think it was January the 22nd, 1973. That would be uh, all of the current population of 27 of our states in the United States. Isn't that amazing? Uh, let me just read these states off, starting from the most populous state that we're listing. By the way, did you know that Florida is the number three state in the country now as far as population is concerned? How things have changed since I first made my appearance in this state. But 27 states, Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Iowa, Utah, Nevada, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kansas, New Mexico, Nebraska, West Virginia, Idaho, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Montana, Rhode Island, Delaware, South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, Vermont, and Wyoming would all be gone if we wiped out the number of people that have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. Think twice the combined population of Australia and New Zealand, if you will. Beyond that, that's just one of the voices that cannot be heard. Beyond that, every second worldwide, every second a person dies from hunger worldwide. Child population of this planet makes up 2.2 billion of the almost 7.7 billion people in the world. Of those 2.2 billion, between 143,000, 143 and 200 million uh, are orphaned. Human traffickers view children that lack families as the ideal target. All kinds of voices that have no voice for whom we need to speak. God has always cared about the least of these. In the Old Testament book of the Psalms, Psalms that, hymns that would be sung, Psalm 68 verse 4 says this about God, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord or his name is Yahweh. Verse 5, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Verse six, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. Near the beginning of his ministry, public ministry uh, on this earth, Jesus walked into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth on the Sabbath day, walked over, picked up the scroll of Isaiah. And according to Luke's gospel, chapter four and verses 18 and 19, he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God is a God who speaks for those that have no voice. 
And we, as his people on this earth, should be people who speak for those who have no voice. We should be unselfish people who, instead of thinking about our own selves and our own luxury and our own comfort all the time, should be thinking about those who have no voice. I want to talk to you about three things that should affect how we approach life. And just beginning with this, every year that I speak on this subject, I have to give this one point. That is this, human life is in God's image. Human beings are not just another species on this planet. I love to watch nature products. I love to watch uh, animals. They're fascinating. I love to watch the fish things and the reefs and all the beautiful colors and things of that nature. You hear about um, those programs, the size of the brains of apes and dolphins and orcas, orcas and their communication ability. And I firmly believe in respecting the planet and every animal on the planet and taking care of those animals. And I love pets. I want to show you a picture. It's a ridiculous picture. That's Zoe and Jack. We don't own Zoe and Jack. We just help take care of Zoe and Jack. It's ridiculous to dress your dogs up like that. That's what my daughter-in-law does. We humanize our pets and we love them. And we can't wait for them to come over and visit with us on Saturday morning and, and Sunday afternoon. But, but, the Bible teaches this, only human life is in God's image. As much as we love Zoe and Jack, only human life is in God's image. Here's the way scripture puts it in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us, God speaking to himself, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And in chapter two, Genesis chapter two, verse seven, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. All other creatures who are created by God are represented as being the effect of God's words. But the man, humans, are represented as being the work of the very hands of God who stooped down to take the clay, to take the dirt and make the man and to breathe into him the breath of life. God is invisible and cannot be seen in his essence. So humans were created to represent him and to rule for him. As God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are soul, body, and spirit. Humans alone have a spirit that can commune with God. Humans alone have the capability of wisdom and righteousness and holiness. And because of that, here's another thing about humans. Only human life is eternal. We have a beginning, but we have no end. Only human life exists forever, either in heaven or in hell. Romans Chapter six and verse 23, the apostle Paul wrote this, for the wages of sin is death. The payment that you get that just comes along 
with sinning is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's death and thus talking about eternal death always being separated from God or life always being with God. Eternal life begins while you're here on this planet when you trust Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit moves into you. It's you and God together forever from that point on, never to end. Jesus illustrated it like this. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Not a sin to be rich, by the way. Verse 20, at his gates, at this rich man's gate, laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. And verse 21 says, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And the latter part of verse 21 says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Kind of a yucky fog. That's the way people live. That's the way some people live. Verse 22 says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Uh, or the place where Abraham is. Uh, all Jewish people knew that wherever Abraham is, that's where God is. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23 says, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. Only human beings exist forever, one place or the other place. Once a human being comes into existence, he or she never again goes out of existence. Only human beings have the choice of where they want to spend that eternity. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his unique, one-of-a-kind Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, life that never, ever ends. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Jesus came. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Only humans are eternal. Only humans have the choice to make. The value of human life is not determined by intellectual or physical potential. Many athletically gifted, musically gifted, artistically gifted, financially gifted people have done way more harm than good with all their gifts and all their abilities. I want you to think about this. The value of each human life is determined by the creator himself who values all life the same. All life, every life is valuable. I love something that I read from Andy Stanley a number of years ago, which is this, everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. You know, some people don't want to have anything to do with God, but God cares about every single person. So that one of the overriding factors that we should think of is this, human life is in God's image every human life, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, whether you relate to it or you don't relate to it, every life, every human life is in the image of God. So it leads me to the second thing, and how did that affect what Jesus did? As Jesus followers, and probably most of us in this room would consider ourselves Jesus followers, as Jesus followers, our first question should always be, what did Jesus say about that? What did Jesus do about that? 
Now, Jesus, uh, the subjects that we talk about, Jesus didn't say or do something about every one of these subjects. He, he had something to say and do about the poor and about widows, but nothing about abortion, for instance, which is the, you know, not the only purpose of this day, but one of the main purposes of this day. In fact, there are a number of issues upon Jesus was silent because, upon which Jesus was silent because they were just not issues in first century Israel. However, there are a couple of examples of how Jesus treated children that give us an insight into how we should value children, both born and unborn or preborn children. First, there's this account uh, that I think we've read recently, but it gives Jesus's basic principle for dealing with children. Here it is. Uh, we're gonna read Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked him. Now, Luke also had, wrote an account of this. Luke was a physician. Luke uses the term babies. They were bringing babies to him. So you can think not, you know, not big kids. These are babies, little kids that, that people are carrying or, or, or holding by their hand and bringing to Jesus. The parents just wanted Jesus to, to touch their children. The, it's, it's interesting that the parents felt comfortable bringing their children and giving them to Jesus. The disciples were kind of like the president's bodyguards are, you know, they, uh, they were keeping the well-wishers at a distance and to the disciples, the children were just a, a bother, one more interruption uh, in an already busy day. We gotta get this done so we can get home and eat supper. You know, we don't have time for these kids that are holding things up. Verse 14 says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Uh, one paraphrasing says Jesus was irate. He let them know about it. I can, I can imagine that. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Here's what he said. He said to them, and this to me is the principle that Jesus lays down. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Don't do anything that would hinder young children from coming to me for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In other words, people that have the faith like they have and people that have the humility like they have. Uh, Jesus' statement in this verse is, to me, the basic principle of dealing with children. Parents should love their children and bring them to Jesus, and when we do that, he will always receive them. Jesus would never turn away anybody, especially a child. Verse 15 continues, truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Verse 16, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Children should be loved and guided to Jesus. They should never be treated harshly or harmed. Yes, children are often a great big inconvenience. <laughs> I'll admit, I don't want to be glorify this too much, you know. Children can be a great big inconvenience, but that's what life is about, and your life is richer because of them. Your treatment of children, even before birth, should reflect God's treatment of you and the way he loves you. There is no work greater on this planet than caring for a child. Think about these things. Number one, it is Christ-like to love children, to care for children, to welcome children, to embrace children. 
It is like Jesus to save the babies the world would kill. Jesus is the little child's best friend. Wherever the gospel goes, it honors families. Wherever the gospel goes, it, it ennobles motherhood. Wherever the gospel goes, it protects and pre preserves the place of children. So allow the little children to come to me. Don't do anything that would hinder them from coming to me. Second passage of scripture about Jesus and, ch and children illustrates the seriousness of the way that we treat children, born and unborn. I'll read it, the account from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. His followers came to him, and, and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you might think these guys that have been accompanying Jesus for quite a while at this point in time, the closest people to him would get over it. You know, who's going to be the best, the highest in the kingdom of heaven and would be all about service. But they're still anticipating an earthly kingdom and everybody's wondering what's going to be my position in the new administration. You know, when, when Jesus takes over here, uh, where am I going to be? Because that's the way we do things, folks. All of us, you and me, we think about ourselves all the time. How will this affect me? What will things look back like for me after it's over with? And so they're still anticipating this. How did Jesus answer the question? Here's what he did, verse two. He called a little child to him and he placed the little child among them, circle around the child. So in response to their dispute, Jesus took a little child, no rights before the law, no influence in society. He brings this little child and he puts him in the middle of this group of guys who are followers of Jesus. Verse three says, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, unless you guys change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in God's kingdom is best illustrated by a child. Not by the rebellious spirit that every child has in him or her, but by his childlike trust and his lowly position. Greatness in God's kingdom is not, not based on great works, but on childlike humility. And then as we read on, Jesus gives three principles that I wanna make you aware of, starting in the, the fifth verse. In verse five, Jesus said, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The first principle here is just this. When we welcome a child in Jesus' name, we are welcoming Jesus himself. And I think the reverse would be true. When we reject a child, we are rejecting Jesus Christ himself, taking this this thought to heart should affect how we think about having children and the burden, if we use that word, of raising children. Serving God is all about serving others, and it begins with children. Verse 6, <clears throat> Jesus continues, if anyone causes one of these little ones, he's still talking about the children, if anybody causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, I've highlighted that because I want to come back and talk about it a minute, to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, one of these who believe in me, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
Principle number two is this. When we deliberately harm a child, we face unspeakable judgment. I don't think there's very, God, God is against anybody who takes advantage of the innocent and the weak. To be powerful and to take advantage of the weak is at you know, the low end of God's scale. If anyone causes one of these to stumble, it'll be better than a big rock thrown around him and just cast out and went to the bottom. Stumble means, by the way, to entice to sin or, or from there to harm in any way. Then there's that term. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me. The implication is that children can believe in Jesus. Still looking at the child. John Piper, I mentioned his name because I like a lot of what he says because he's, he's Christian's favorite preacher. Well, after me, of course, you know, of course. But John Piper made this statement. Disciples of Jesus should remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. Don't you like that? Disciples of Jesus should remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. And by the way, the context that he said that was a lot of things and they're getting ready to build a new Sunday school wing. <laughs> well, it's pretty good. I mean, you your building, your building shouldn't do anything that would be a hindrance that would keep children from coming to Jesus. Children can believe in Jesus and we should pray that they believe early in their life. They can do that. I told you before, when I pastored in Central Florida, uh, there was a young girl. She was 14, 15 when I first became her pastor. She's a Down syndrome girl. Uh, and um, we became good buddies. I, after a while, I could understand almost everything she said. And so, and we, we would talk together quite a bit. And she sat, there were only, it was an aisle down the middle. She sat right over here, second row back. Uh, and after a while, not with her parents anymore. You know, because she got to be a big girl. She was, you know, heading towards 20 years of age. She's still living, by the way, and is in her mid-50s now. But uh, after she didn't sit with her parents anymore, she sat on the second row to my right, and she would have her imaginary family that she would bring to church, her invisible imaginary children. Uh, you'd know they were there because she'd reach up and pop one in the back of the head every once in a while because they were talking. And if you were sitting anywhere around her and you created disturbance, you could... She was coming for you next, you know, because she wanted everybody to be quiet uh, in church. And every once in a while, Kathy would get one of those imaginary children by the hand, and she would walk down to the front, you know, during the invitation at the end of the service, and she would ask me to pray for her child. And so I'd put a hand on her and a hand on the child, and I would pray, and then that was fine, and she would lead the child back. One day, I think Kathy was about 20 years of age, one Sunday morning at the close of the service, Kathy came up to me and she told me that she wanted to trust Jesus as her Savior and become a, a member of God's family. What was I going to do? Well, I, she was a child still, really, even at 20. And I, and I prayed and she prayed and received Jesus as her Savior. It shocked her parents, shocked everybody at church. Nobody thought she could possibly be capable, mentally capable 
of trusting Christ as her Savior. But I knew what she said, and she knew what she said. And Jesus said, those who believe in me, don't hinder them in any way, those who believe in me. Children can believe. One more verse in this, that Jesus, uh, in this passage in Matthew chapter 18, skip down a few verses to verse 10, Matthew 18, 10. Jesus said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Watch out. You don't do anything bad. Take care of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, the third principle that I want you to see is this. When we protect a child from harm, we're only doing what God's already done. That's God's business, and we help him in that. Children are important to God. So important, in fact, that it appears from that statement that he may have entrusted the care of children to a specific group of his angelic beings who are in constant contact with the Father and perhaps are those that we refer to sometimes as guardian angels. I've loved my two sons since before they were born. And though I could not always be with them, I always knew that the Father in heaven cares for them even more than I and that he was with them in every circumstance. I knew that before I ever met them personally. I knew that when they were little kids around the house. I knew that when they started getting in their truck and driving away from the house and, and when they got married and all those kinds of stuff, all those kinds of things. And I know that it's also true for those seven kids, ranging in age from two to 15, who call me granddad. Well, one of them calls me pop pop, but whatever she wants, that's okay. You know, we just let her do that. Not my favorite word, except when she says it. That's what Jesus did. That's the way Jesus approached everything. All life, all human life is in the image of God. None of us are particularly good image, by the way. We all get it wrong quite a bit. But we're all in the image of God, representing God on this planet. Every single one of us so the last thing and I'll try to go through this quickly what should we do you know based on that based on the fact that all life is in the image of God and based on the fact of what we see Jesus said and did about it what should we do and the first thing I'll say is we need to protect the weak and innocent James who was half brother of Jesus wrote one of the books that's in the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament. James chapter 1 verse 27 said this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Widows and orphans represented the most dependent aspects of ancient society. The people with no voice, widows and orphans, certainly uh, especially children, but also widows continue to be uh, exploited today in our supposedly enlightened society. Today, in spite of all our gains, for instance, women are still exploited by trafficking, human trafficking and pornography, and in many other ways, so men, let me just say something to you along that line. Speak about, treat women with the utmost 
respect. And when you are treating and dealing with a woman, regardless of her age, whether she's a very young woman or an older woman, think about your mother, think about your wife, think about your daughters, think about your God in your treatment of women. And women, respect yourself and conduct yourself in ways that are worthy of respect. However a woman acts doesn't give a man any excuse, but we need to work together on it. We have to protect the weak and innocent. Even though women don't consider themselves weak in our society today, they're still exploited. Second thing is, what can we do? We can keep God first in our lives. If you put God first, you will always honor people like you should and make good decisions if you put God first. Speaking in the context of neutral things, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this concerning the claim by some Christians that I'm free in Christ. I can do anything I want to do. You're not the boss of me. I can do anything I want to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Okay, it's, yeah, but it's not good for you, right? Not, been, not good for you. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is good for others. Notice what, what the apostle wrote in verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Our life, it doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself and so forth, but my life should not be all about me. It should be about you and about others. How can we do that in the context of what we're talking about today, particularly uh, related to the unborn? Well, here's one thing we can do. We can model moral purity. We can be what we should be. We can abstain from extramarital relationships. We can abstain from immoral conversation. We can accept pregnancy as a gift from God, whether we plan it or not. It's not all about our planning. God gives life. Here's another thing we can do. We can participate in community projects. We're doing the Baby Bottle Boomerang. Funny name, but we understand what it's about, right? To raise funds for Safe Harbor Crisis Pregnancy Center. You can help. Fill up that bottle. Get another one. Fill it up. Bring it back. It all goes. It, we don't get anything from here for that. We give that all to the place that is helping. You can help. The second semester of our Embrace Grace ministry for women with unplanned or high-risk pregnancy starts February the 3rd of this year. My daughter-in-law, Cassie, can use your help in all kinds of ways. Help her. Volunteer. Whatever she needs, ask her, what can I do for, uh, to help you? By the way, let me just interject something. Not necessarily all about that. We talk a lot about being servants to others and putting others before us, but it's hard to do, you know, because I think about me first. <laughs> I think about how's it, you know, I said before, how's this going to affect me and what's this going to mean for me? That's just natural. Uh, and of all the groups of widows and orphans mentioned in that opening video, we as a church you know, have a good start in this thing I'm talking about here, ministering to prospective mothers through Embrace Grace. And you know why, why we do that? Uh, is it because we all have such a big heart? No, it's because one person, one person 
And I know she's my daughter-in-law, but I'm bragging about her anyway. I don't care. You know, she is my daughter-in-law. One person, Cassie Harris, began sacrificing her own time and her own money without asking anybody to do anything. She got trained and she started uh, volunteering at this crisis pregnancy center. Out of that, she got a vision for a ministry that she shared with us, Embrace Grace. And we said, yes, we need to be doing that. That's the way it works, especially in smaller churches. That's the way it works. Somebody sacrifices themselves and starts doing something that needs to be done. You're the church, right? And then others catch the vision. So I just asked you to approach things like that. If you see a need, Instead of asking, what's the church? Kind of like, what's the government doing about that? What's the church doing about that? Say, I am the church. What am I? What am I going to do about that? And then let other people catch the vision from you. We can do that. We can participate in community projects. We can vote for the best political candidates. That should come into our voting. You know, how, how do they stand on the life issue? Uh, I don't put much hope in anybody that gets elected, by the way. It all just seems to keep going in the same direction anyhow, but I still vote. We can pray. Prayer is a lot more powerful than most anything else we do. And lastly, we can choose life for ourselves. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And remember that forgiveness is available to all who repent and turn away from sin. John wrote this, the youngest of the 12, the guy that was closest to Jesus, 1 John 1, 9, he said, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus forgives all sin. That's why he died on the cross. All life is in the image of God. Think about what Jesus did, and let's bow our heads together and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and for life. Thank you for caring about us and working in us. Help us to see what life really is about. Give us the grace to sacrifice ourselves uh, selflessly, not selfishly and griping, but selflessly to be a voice for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.